Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Paradigm 132 Podcast, and I am your humble and gracious host, Rashad Horn, coming to you on October 9th, 2020. The reason that I am stating this, um, which is differently than when I stated stated, it other times, is I want to talk about why we don't have a true third or even fourth party in this majority two-party system. And the other reason is because um, I believe, yeah, this this should be out before the um, election. And, if, and even if it's not out before the election, just the way the scheduling is, I still feel like it, it is something that we can actually look at and, you know, quite possibly learn from and really um, potentially put boots on the ground um, as it pertains to trying to um, move forward, right? So anytime I have a question, I just simply type it into Google. And so the question I asked is, why doesn't America have a true third party? Because initially what I wanted to do was I wanted to just do a complete episode about the most successful third party candidate, which I'm going to touch on um, two of them uh, anyway, you know, but I'm not going to revolve the entire uh, podcast around it. I want to just do it from this particular standpoint, right? Just do it from this particular standpoint right here. So. The first article I <clears throat> I looked at comes from the um, Christian Science Monitor. Um, this article was written by Peter Greer, a uh, staff writer. Um, it was written September 26, 2016. Now, you know, some people say, oh, well, it's old. But this type of information, it it. I feel like it's it's ageless because it it answers a question, even though the article is speaking about uh, Jill Stein and Gary Johnson, who were two of the were the other two uh, presidential candidates in 2016 with uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. So the article, the title of it: Why don't third parties succeed in U.S. Maybe it's the law. So obviously when I I saw this, I was like, the law? Okay. What what does this mean? You know, so I'm like, okay, I'm 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 interested in it. I'm already interested. So it says, do vergers law? It says it's a political theory that says democracies with single member legislative districts and winner take all voting tend to favor a two party system. So that's just one of the bullet points. But when you go down a little bit further, it it gives a little background on it. So the law was named after a French political scientist named Maurice Deverger, right? So it says it's, it's more of a theory than an actual law, right? And so, and I'm I'm gonna quote this little block right here. So it says. Basically, the reason why 
uh, people prefer a two-party system is that it says many voters don't want to waste their ballot and thus gravitate towards a legislative candidate they think has a chance to win. Third-party candidates have a hard time building enough of a following to actually win a congressional or state legislative seat in this theory. And without a grassroots base of elected officials, third-party candidates who aren't already famous have a very difficult time building momentum. So um, the two most popular um, that garnered the most support were um, for third-party were Theodore Roosevelt in 1912, with his um, progressive party, which was nicknamed the Bull Moose Party, which it was named that um, due to him making a speech in which he referred to himself as a Bull Moose, right? And Russ Peratt in the 1992 election, he garnered 19% of the popular vote in 1992. And based on what I read, at one point in the election before he initially dropped out and then re-entered the election, he was actually ahead of Bill Clinton due to Clinton having some scandals floating around this. That doesn't sound like anything new. As well as George Bush Sr. reeling from just the economy just being just bad, right? So... That's one thing we can kind of take away right there. Well, it's, well, it's two things we can take away right there, right? Two things we can take away. If you're a person of influence, Ross, Ross Perot, and I'm just going to focus on him, was a person of influence. He was a billionaire from Texas. So you already have somewhat of a name. Secondly, you have money. So you can kind of jump over a lot of things because you're not doing you're still going to do uh fundraising and things of that particular nature but you at least say hey i'm willing to put this much of my own money behind myself and what it is that i stand for and he was able to get republicans as well as democrat um people to come together in his team to kind of help push things forward so one of the things that I've always heard, and I'm sure you've heard it too, everyone loves the underdog. Everyone loves the underdog story. People love the movie uh, Rudy. I've never watched the movie, uh, personally. I've never watched the movie. But people love the underdog, right? The underdog, until the underdog becomes the top dog, and now we're looking for another underdog. So if anyone has followed uh, college football, um, you know, the University of Alabama has been the most dominant uh college football program in probably all time, um, with this particular rank. But when they matched up against Clemson, um, for the first time around, many people were rooting for Clemson. Clemson was the underdog, right? Same thing goes for other type of things, right? People love the underdog. At least that's what I've heard. But when we speak about this political structure, this two-party system, and people who may want to be an individual party, but you have to acquiesce into one of these two particular parties, I can't necessarily say that we truly, people truly do love the underdog. Now, one of the things, I, t I mean, 
I took a tremendous chunk out of just that paragraph right there. Because obviously, we have to look at it from this particular standpoint. You have to look at it from the standpoint of you need to have a full plan. If, if you're a third-party candidate, you need to have a full plan. And when I say you need to have a full plan, it's almost as if you have to sacrifice and say, hey, wait a minute. Instead of putting money into a presidential bid, how about I start on the local level, right? Let's, st- let's start on the local level whether it's me or whether it's somebody else, but let's get a team together and let's push this party at the local level, right? So that represents the grassroots right there because, okay, we, whether that's city council, whether that's getting a a mayor or or any type of thing within politics, okay, let's, let's, let's establish that first. Okay. So at least we have a base, right? We, We can, we can work with that. So once we work with that and we get more and more, then maybe we can reach out to other places and other cities. And that's the beautiful thing about social media right now is that you can basically only follow, only get the opinions of people that are like-minded, right? So when that is at play, you can use with the help of analytics and all of these different type of things. You understand your demographics or you understand how you can attack your demographic. You can understand all these particular different things like this. And you can also understand, okay, well, where am I getting the majority of my listenership from, right? What are these particular places? What are these particular cities, right? So when you do that, then that 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 gives you the ability. Okay, well let's let's set up in these places. Let's set up in this place. This place. These are our strong points, right? So once you get those particular things worked out, at least I, you know, just from my opinion, just again, just reading this one particular paragraph. Okay, so now we're generating the money. So now obviously this isn't something that just can happen overnight, right? No, it can't happen overnight. It has to be a. It has to be. Like someone that ha- that's on a crock pot. It has to be a slow cook. It's not a microwave, right? So this could be something that's 15, 20 years in the making. So let's just say you start this party in 2020, right? So basically by 2040 or 2050 or some, something of that particular nature, you know, you could have already established, okay, now we have some roles in the Senate and these particular different things. And now we somewhat have a grassroots base. So now we can actually come together and speak and say, okay, now it's time for us to go to the to the top. Now it's time for us to put the presidential bid in. We already have these particular strong points right here. And we are in a position to where we could potentially flip somebody. Now, obviously, this is what we talk about. This is something that has to work in a perfect scenario, right? And I just said it could take 10, 15 years. It could take longer than that, right? It just depends, obviously. But it has to be something that starts at that particular level. And then you can you can get up. And then maybe you have the ability to flip. Right. So another thing that I took from this, right. 
it says many voters don't want to waste their ballot, right? So it's two things now. Two these these are the two things that I say. Everyone loves a, a underdog. Uh, everyone loves an underdog story, and everybody loves a winner, right? Now, I'm not. I'm I'm of the belief that yes, two things can be true. Yeah, two things can be true. But in this particular scenario, it doesn't seem like two things can be true because, well, yeah, yeah, it can. You can you can like the underdog story, but again, I only feel that this contributes to like maybe sports entertainment, you know, particular things like that. Like people say, oh, I love to see the underdog win, right? I love it. And... It's only when people feel or someone feels that, hey, that person actually has a chance to win, that I might actually help them, right? I might actually contribute something, right? So that's what we have now. So we have a a two-party system that is so dominating that we actually have individuals, regardless of election, say, and that's a wasted vote. It's a waste of a vote because your person can't win, right? And so people always want to, you know, we, we we want to feel like, hey, we're contributing to something, right? We're contributing to something. So when you got a two-party system, it's like either I vote, you know, either I vote Democrat or, or either I vote Republican. I feel that each person or group has a 50-50 chance of actually winning. Now, when I step off to the side over here, right, and I give my support to Joe Blow or Suzanne Snow, then I may feel in my heart of hearts that, okay, this person or this group represents my ideology, but in the grander scheme of things, it's almost like, well, I you can't win. It's like when Mick told Rocky when he was fighting, um, when he initially fought Mr. T and he was on the side. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, you can't win, Rock. This guy, I'm knocking you to the middle of next week, right? And so that's kind of like what's going on. Like Mick is talking to 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 people, like you can't win third party, <laughs> right? And so the other thing, right? It says third party candidates who are already already famous have a very difficult time building momentum, right? So we talked about well, not we talked about, but Kanye. I believe is going to be on some ballots in some um, states and things of that particular nature. And he's a famous person. So that, that, that helps you because you're not, you're not having to build the name, which is why I said it could take 10, 15 years or longer to actually get this particular base built. Right. And it may even get to the point where it goes from being a political party to people saying, okay, it's a cult. So you you you're you're working with that, but but none of these other things are considered a cult, right? You know you follow, but 
That's neither here nor there, right? So the next article, let's move on to the next article, right? I don't want to hold you too long. Let's move on to the next article. Next article I got from the Huffington Post written by Rachel or Raquel Eckert. Uh, refers to herself as a political enthusiast. Well, no, no, let me not say that. Let me not say she refers to herself. In this, it says, political enthusiast, military veteran, and creator of the political blog, The Illusion of Choice. Okay. The title says, The More the Merrier Would a Multi-Party System Work in America? Right? The Multi-Party System. So the article starts off basically giving a brief history of some of the former parties, uh, the Federalist Party, the Populist, the Anti-Federalist Party, which later, you know, which those became the Democratic Republican Party, uh, the Whig Party, you know. So it's it's been a long line of parties um, uh, leading up to what we have um, now. Um, so, so the key thing that I took out of this article was she gave a quote by George Washington in his farewell address. It says the alternate domination of one faction over another sharpened by the spirit of revenge, natural to party dissension which in different ages and countries has perpetrated, I'm trying to talk too fast, the most horrid enormities is itself a frightful despotism, right? So, some pretty big words in there, some words that are not in my uh, working vocabulary. So, despotism. So despotism can, uh, the definition of despotism is a, is oppressive, absolute power and authority exerted by government, which, uh, we could acquiesce with tyrant dictatorship, uh, totalitarianism, uh, absolute monarch, you know, all those, those particular things like that. Right. So what we take, or at least what I take from that she wrote this in uh, 2015 it was updated december 6th of 2017 it was originally published october 26 2015 so after she wrote that this is what she put after that she said the present discordant political climate makes washington's words as relevant as ever our structure naturally forces us to choose sides fostering an us or them mentality which severely limits our choices president washington worried that this this eventually would lead to a single individual seizing control and advise restraining our system with checks and balances in order to present this frightful despotism right so says without looking forward to an extremity of this kind which nevertheless ought not be entirely out of sight the common and continuum mischiefs of the spirit of party are sufficient to make it the interest and duty of wise people to discourage and restrain it right so um the article goes on to talk about how other countries actually are 
working well with multi parties, multiple parties. Whereas um, our system is essentially the only system. Our system is really the only system that utilizes the two parties. Uh, it says Canada has six. Mexico has seven, right? So it's one of those situations where they feel that, you know, they can actually work with these particular different things, right? So, um, and then this is the last thing I'm going to quote from this article, right? It says, one commonality in multi-party countries is a parliamentary government with some exceptions. Another is proportional representation. The party with the highest percentage of the vote wins. This system confers the obvious benefits of more party choices and accurate representation for minority parties. Countries with more than two political parties often demonstrate higher voter participation as cities, citizens from various ethnic and ideological backgrounds can find groups that closely match their ideals. The downside is that with so many options, consensus on consensus on major issues become difficult and accomplishing tasks becomes arduous. Splinter parties often form and dissolve rapidly in America. Governance is challenging enough with only two parties. It's hard to imagine Congress attempting to please 10 different parties, right? Um, I said it was the last thing, but I want to read this last thing. It said, the grass is always green on the other side. The Americans often denounce our polarized two-party system in favor of three or more parties with good reason. Our current arrangement deters us from voting for third-party candidates as we are loath to waste a vote, right? So it says it's it essentially forces people who identify with either party to walk lock and step, even if they disagree. All right. So I saw another, um, not an article, but just a headline uh, from CNN. And it stated that 40% of Americans felt that they would be for a true third party. Right. So that means 60% aren't, but they said that is the highest uh, it has been since they started tracking this, I believe, in since 1995. Right. So what we're having is we're having a changing of the guard. Right. We're having a changing of the guard. I mean, so one of the things, one of the people that I listen to is uh, um, Troy Terrain uh, from the Star Report. And one of the things that he, you know, he brings about is like from a from a actual standpoint, America is only roughly two hundred some odd years old, so America doesn't necessarily have a a true true history. So two hundred years is a lot, but when you compare it to other countries that have been around for longer periods of time. America is extremely young. America is could still be considered the child. America hasn't yet, you know, matured. America has risen to um, high standards that you know haven't been reached before, you know, by other great countries. But it's still a young country. So what we have is. Maybe not in my lifetime, maybe in my lifetime, but you could actually have a changing of the guard. You could truly have a changing of the guard. There's a lot of things changing now. 
right? But you could truly, truly in the future have a changing of the guard where you could essentially adapt um, a third, a fourth, maybe even a fifth type of candidate. Because basically what is happening now is that you're having two parties trying to acquiesce and just pick and choose. Okay, well, this group of people right here, okay, I think we can work with that. But the rest of the stuff, nah, we can't do that because that becomes a problem for that group. And then the other group may say, okay, well, we'll take it because we feel what they agree to is a problem for this other group, right? So you have a situation where it's picking and choosing, right? And so everyone isn't actually, from a voter standpoint, everyone isn't locking step with, you know, their candidate. So the whole adage is just to find the candidate that you feel that you have the most in common with. Right? That's that's the adage. But you truly probably need a third or a fourth actual party. Right. That becomes a representation. But again, we're not in a democracy. We're in a republic. It's not a democracy. It's a republic. Even in the pledge, it says this is a republic. And the difference between it's a very small difference between a republic and a democracy, but it's a very tremendous difference because they're essentially are the same. But instead of having an uh a global, well, just a national election, that's what the representatives are for because they're supposed to represent the interests of the state. So they are the ones that votes. So that's what makes this a republic because you have representatives. So that's why people say, you know, it's very important to get some people in there that represent the ideals. But obviously the ideals are going to be the ideals of people that, in my honest opinion, have the most influence and have the most money. But that's another conversation for another day. But I just want to just touch on this, right? And like I said, touched on how, you know, a third party could actually garner some recognition. If you already had a popular person, right? We've had, we've seen um, Arnold Schwarzenegger be the governor of California. We've seen Jesse Ventura, which was a pro wrestler. I believe he was the governor of Minnesota. Um, in Alabama, we, uh, well, not we, I'm not from Alabama, but Tommy Tuberville, for those who watch college football, he was the Auburn football, uh, Auburn head football coach. Um, he was running for public office, right? So, in we have a public figure as the president now. So it's 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 a changing of the guard because all this is is a popularity contest. And this is something that we learned in school, that the most popular people get the most perks while the least popular people are overlooked, right? And I can attest to that. I wasn't a popular person in school. The guys that were popular, they got the girls. I got what was left. <laughs> Right. But, you know, all jokes aside, but this Donald Trump isn't the first one celebrity public figure, so to speak, to do this. And with the way that campaigns and marketing is going now, this is going to start a trend that people can leverage their fan base 
into politics, which it can be good. It can be bad. It just depends. I'm not, again, I'm not a political scientist. I'm a novice. I don't know what the long-term ramifications could be for something of that particular nature. But depending, because some artists, just like certain politicians, they touch different demographics. But at the core, at the core, they all have something in common, aside from just liking that. They have something in common. They like that particular person. And they like that particular person for different reasons, but they can galvanize behind that particular person in that. So, you know, I don't have a magic ball or anything like that, but I, I really do see um, people with certain fan bases can actually move forward. I feel that the gates and the doors are opening because I don't really feel like the current way that things are going, um, you can still um, realistically you know, realistically have the same type of thing going on, right? I don't think it's going to continue to be a situation where you just are grooming um, politicians moving forward to just say, okay, you're going to be a representative for this party, you're going to be a representative for that party, because the popular people are going to find a way. I just, just like they, the creators are going to create, the creators are going to do this. like. I just, I, I, I see that. And I think that's going to be the catalyst because basically any of these particular popular third parties, just from the small sample size I got, they were people who had a base, right? They had a base, like Kanye has a base. Um, I don't know what, you know, how much of the vote he's going to garner because of his you know, mental thing and the things that he's going through and not being battle-tested. But we could look at someone else, right, that could probably do something like that, like maybe someone like um, Ariana or a Beyonce or, or someone of that particular magnitude, right, like could actually – go out there would they want to would they now these people are secretive people as far as like they're not out in the spotlight a lot you know some of those particular different type of things but people like that you know and maybe people that aren't on that particular level but have that type of following could actually do that right because you already you already have a base right so I don't know what's going to happen when your ideals are laid out there you know, again, like I said, I'm not just talking about from the president. I'm just speaking from the the ground, city council, mayor, board of supervisor, you know, any any of these particular things that are, you know, lower level um, offices that could spin you into something else. Now, obviously, would your fan base hold on while you are essentially not – feeding them and when i say feeding them which i'm saying like you're not giving them what it is that they that they gravitated to, towards you for would they actually take you serious or would they just say oh man you know I, I really just like you because you're funny or i like you because you can sing or 
and I'm not too concerned with that. So that's when that boils down. Do I like you as a person or do I just like what it is that you do? Right. But I just I feel like that's that's probably the blueprint for the actual third party candidate is, you know, you got to start small. You got to build a base. You got to study analytics. You got to realize what your strongholds are. And you have to be selfless. You have to say, okay, well, you're a big supporter of mine. I see you have something going on. Let me help you build that. And then we're going to run for office. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to put a stamp on this, right? And that's just my theory. I'll be back to y'all again next week. Peace.